episode 178 above ground podcast odds sweet things and dead ends with mike langone disclaimer the hosts of this podcast will foley and tpp are not medical professionals and this is not medical advice both will and tpp have firsthand experience with mental illness they have their own perspective and own thoughts on mental health challenges Above Ground Podcast was birthed to help those who struggle with their mental health through honest dialogue. By speaking openly and sharing tools, they foster connection. By fostering connection, they convey hope. With connection and hope, we can continue to increase awareness. These conversations aim to break down the walls while building stronger foundations for positive mental health. This is Above Ground Podcast. Coming at you live with real conversations about mental health from the perspective. It's time for Above Ground Podcast. Now your hosts, TPP and Will Foley. Hey, what's up everyone? Welcome to episode 178 of Above Ground Podcast. Above Ground Podcast, because you can't serve below. First off, huge shout out to the Fuse Box, Radio Radio X. But not without saying huge thank yous to Ike's Wasted World, Gay Tasty X Machina, and of course Black Belt Jones, whose singer Mike Langone is our guest this week. We had an awesome show on Saturday night at the Fuse Box here in Albany in the 518. And what a what a night of riff heavy rock. I was just very, very grateful to be a part of the night and play some original stuff and TPP and I got up and did our version of I Am The Highway. He came in and helped me do a version of it. And it's up on our Facebook page, so go to the Above Ground Podcast Facebook page. You can see the live video of it. Also, never underestimate the power of you. That's right. Tim's new book is getting ready to drop on Amazon. And as soon as I have links and know when it's definitely dropping, as far as I know, it's coming out in the next few weeks. But... He hasn't quite gotten the all the stuff yet together for it, and we know it's coming, but it's there, and from what I've read, it's going to be awesome, and it's it's so cool to see him get this done, and it's inspired me to do other stuff too, and that's what it's all about, man. It's all about inspiring and fostering hope, right? We can do anything if we set our minds to it, and we, course, we chart the path. That's what it's all about. So, without any further ado, we're going to get to our interview with Mike Langone. December 18th will be the next Upstate Punk Rock Flea Market. And Upstate Punk Rock Flea Market is here because of Mike. Mike is the one who has put that whole promotion together. And Empire Live is such a great place to do it. And so grateful that Ted and Mike Valeni and everybody that's involved, uh, all the security guys, Vegas and all those guys, it's such a great place, such a great venue, such killer shows, man, such a killer show. So if you haven't been there, find a show to go to, uh, especially if you want to come out and do something really, really special for people and you like heavy music. Don't forget December 16th is the Toy for Tots Drive. I put up a video on my personal page recently about wanting to help as much as I could this year. And if anybody is interested in donating toys here in the 518, please let me know. I will be more than happy to pick them up for you and deliver them to this event on December 16th, which is being sponsored by Nippertown and Upstate Black and Blue and all this, all everybody involved. So please donate if you can. Toys for Tots, new toy unwrapped. 
That's all you need to know. All right, here we go. Episode 178. Quick note before we start today's episode. If anybody listened last week, we have a new disclaimer. So we wanted to take a moment and thank our previous voice, Jordan, for lending his voice for all these years and giving us a hand and supporting us. We thank him. Yes, we thank you, Jordan. Thank you for your service, man. Now, episode 178, Above Ground Podcast. Odd, sweet things and dead ends with Mike Langone. Hey, what is up, everyone? Welcome to Above Ground Podcast. Above Ground Podcast, because you can't serve below. That's right. What up, TPP? What's going on, buddy? Another, <laughs> Sunday, another Sunday morning, I, although I'm... I'm a little scared of what is going on behind that camera because, like, you don't look like you're wearing a shirt, and that's I, I, I know. Back, I you need to put that shit on, dude. I, I can't know. I, was, see, I can't see. I was uh, I was doing some stuff, and then it's I was like, I got to get on. And then I realized right when I sat down, I was like, Oh my god, I don't have a fucking shirt on, man. I know, man, dude. Good thing we don't use this fucking video. Nobody, right? would ever, nobody would ever come <laughs> visit us. Nobody would ever come visit us at our table at Upstate Punk Rock Flea Market. Which you know would be no, a real detriment. Which would be yeah. a real detriment. I know they definitely would not. Uh, we are joined this morning by Mike Langone. The well, he wears many hats. He really does. Um, but Mike is the creator of the Upstate Punk Rock Flea Market. Uh, October twenty third is going to be Upstate Punk Rock Flea Market number three which we'll be stoked to be at. Yeah. We'll have all your resources for your mental health stuff and your substance abuse stuff, and we're always adding resources. Mike, thank you so much for joining us this morning, man. It's, Thanks it's, for having it's, me, man. It's, it's good to see you. Um, luckily, uh, Mike is also the lead singer in Black Belt Jones. He is a, a mummifier, I'll call you. Is that a, is that a word? No, I just... I, <laughs> I mean, I do some mummification, but I do art with bones and skulls and stuff like that. And um, oh, like right behind me, that snake. Yeah, stuff. I see that. Man, yeah. So yeah, I just do different things, and it's become like a hobby, which has become like a little side business. That's awesome, man. Keeps now I busy man keeps the mind busy, which is good. Well, that's and so, that's kind of where I was going to go with that. Is this yeah. part of the reflection of you having your many years in recovery and being involved in as a professional, uh, as a KSAC at one point and just throughout your journey? Is this something that you found to keep you occupied or did it just kind of fall into your lap? It, and it's, it, it fell into my lap kind of. God, I can't even like really pinpoint when I really started doing it, but I was always like a collector of like certain skulls and stuff like that. And then I started putting some things together and it just, I think I had a couple of friends that said, hey, this looks really cool. You should, you know, do this and sell it and do it. And it's become like a small business and it keeps me out of trouble. That's awesome, man. And keeping you out of trouble, that's a big thing, man. Yeah. So why don't I, for anybody who doesn't know who you are, that listens to the show. Can you just give us a little bit of background and and tell us about about your journey? I grew up on the Lower East Side of Manhattan when it was really the Lower East Side of Manhattan when it was not great the way it is. It's much better now. That's a double-edged sword because we don't want to get into all the politics of how that transitioned. But basically they got the poor people out and they're still getting the poor people out. So right. stop it there. 
Yeah. But um, I don't know. I always grew up with a lot of anxiety. And, you know, this is in hindsight now, you know, so I definitely felt like I had a lot of anxiety and a lot of depression as a kid. And I think the first time I got drunk by myself, I felt an ease. I felt the calmness. And I think that started me off into like a world of like addiction and making a lot of bad decisions. But I think in the beginning, it really helped my mental health in a way. Like it kept me from hurting myself, I guess. Didn't really realize I was hurting myself in a different way. But um, but it made me feel better, like I can cope with what was going on around me. So. From the way I understand it, and you say the first time you drank by yourself, that that is a very big distinction in there. It's not like you were out partying with your friends. It's the first right. time you drank by yourself. So obviously there was something in inside of you, traumatic, experiences or or just life in general that that propelled you to need to ease the pain that you were feeling mm -hmm. has that pain ever subsided for you yeah i mean oh god i'm definitely a different person than i was you know i think a lot of it is just acceptance too and just like um can't focus so much on why it's more like how i can make things better you know could get stuck on why and then you'll have some smart guy that'll say why not <laughs> right <laughs> yeah why not why yeah, not so, right why not you know i always like those those guys you know? <laughs> yeah yeah why not why not throw yourself into a into a world <laughs> of being able to not cope and and using those negative coping skills that we learned some often sometimes by accident we see it around us we do it just to fit in we do it because we have a lack in our in ourselves or feel a lack in ourselves. I mean, I definitely started it to fit in, but it definitely helped me just socialize better. And I was able to like do things. I also was in a world I kind of didn't belong and I feel sometimes, you know, and it, I made like a lot of bad decisions. So I'm lucky I'm here. I guess we all are, you know, right? So, Absolutely, um, man. But uh, it was a long journey. And I ended up in Albany. How long have you been in Albany now? Been in Albany. Okay, so it's been over 20 years with one period when I, I left for about a year and a half. Then I came back to Albany in 2000. I kind of felt like it was kind of like this was became my home, you know, so I kind of felt like I came back home in a way. I decided to go to school because I was working in a treatment program where they didn't want to pay me and i was doing like a lot of work and i i decided like doing a lot of work but i'm really not being recognized for it or paid for it so i ended up going to school and like you mentioned before getting a KSAC, becoming a counselor which i was told i was good at it but i i was having trouble doing it especially when i was coming into clients who had more trouble than just addiction who needed a different approach, I guess, than the therapeutic community approach, yelling at people or making judgments on people or forcing people to do certain things when they're not really equipped to do it. Mike, do you think that you being in that position, did you not feel confident in your, in your skills and in yourself that you were what they needed and they needed more? I felt confident in my skills. I mean, I, I definitely, I mean, I know I helped a lot of people, but certain people 
needed a different approach. And I don't think the field was ready for it. I think they're starting to now. You know, I I think it's more complicated than we thought, I think. Yeah, you know no, I, I mean? understand. I, I guess that's a great answer. And I, I, I think that's exactly what I was looking for is that whatever that key thing that was missing. And like you said, it it's almost as if, you know, the workers are are kind of have their hands tied because there's this, you know, bigger system that's bigger than us that has control that may need to be, you know, fine tuned, we'll say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's mm-hmm. fair, man. Thank you. Yeah. So you get people that are in recovery. Mm-hmm. Like I'm absent, man. I've been absent for a little while and it's just what I need to do for me. You know, I don't use anything. Caffeine, right? Little CBD to go to sleep, full spectrum. It has about the same amount of THC that a kombucha has alcohol. You know what I mean? So right. it's like, <laughs> it's not going to do anything except help you sleep, you know? Right. And I'll drink kombucha too. Because I'm in recovery, it doesn't mean that everybody is going to get in recovery and be abstinent. And we have to find a way that's going to work for the individual, you know. And and I also think there's a fine line, you know, that we got to be careful because sometimes I feel like, and I hate to use the word enable, sometimes we could be sending a different message to people. And it's like, I, I, I don't think it's okay to shoot dope and smoke crack. I think it's really bad. It really ruins your life. It makes you not... People don't want to be around you too, but it makes you also become a person like that you really don't want to be, you know, because when I was caught up in that, I was definitely doing things and being this person that I really don't want to be. And I was lucky that I was able to stop. And some people don't make it. They end up dying on it, which I've lost so many friends, so many clients, so many associates, so many family members, like I can't even count. Like I just lost somebody not too long ago who was like a brother to me who I lived with, who I played in a band with. It's devastating. You just mentioned that you've lost a lot of friends and family. So I'm, I'm kind of, I wanted to know, do you have addiction in your family like so many of us do? Um, or did, was this something that just kind of, hit you is there like diagnosed mental health conditions undiagnosed there is there is Um, my father definitely was a heroin addict and an alcoholic and he died because of that there's some mental health in the family on his side and it definitely addiction has affected my family for sure on my mother's side too not my mom though as a mom just had my mom just had a bad picker but she was like really a good uh, person it's like yeah. a lot of people. Yeah, she yeah. Cool. yeah. Yeah. As it turns out, like most of us have some sort of addiction that runs through um, like right. me too, you know, I have a mentally ill parent, you know, alcoholic yeah. parent. It's kind of runs the gamut. Yeah. And I, and I found alcohol, you know, I just, I saw it normalized in my life. So I, you know, and I'm not abstinent. I'm not, in recovery or anything like that. So I still have my own issues to, mm. to deal with, but 
but I'm a lot better than I used to be. Yeah, we got to take care of ourselves. That's like the main thing. You know what I mean? So what so what I was getting at before was like I stopped working in treatment because I really don't agree with a lot of it. And that's what I was trying to get at. Yeah, before, I get it. You know, and um, I, I mean, I, I've worked in harm reduction, you know, harm reduction. It, it could mean like so many different things. Well, yeah. Can you oh, kind of ex- use that word? Yeah. I was just going to ask you because it doesn't come up very often that people mention harm reduction specifically. And in, in some of the ways we look at it is like injection sites and we look at it as in different, you know, as in going into outreach and, and meeting people where they are. But is there other definitions to harm reduction? Reducing harm, right? Yeah. Going into treatment is harm reduction. Okay. Being abstinence is harm reduction. You know, so what it's I mean? all harm. It's all harm reduction. It's all harm reduction. <laughs> right. You know, so it's like, so when somebody says, well, I don't want to do that harm reduction thing, I don't think they really, they're being um, specific, I guess. It's not a specific term, I don't think. That's how I look at it anyway. And I know a lot of people do too. But anyway, I got out of working. I, I got out of working in treatment. You know, I, I give you a qu- quick example of one of the reasons why I left. I had a client, did a lot of time in jail, but he was forced to sit in a room with like 10 counselors and having the counselors tell him what he needs to do when this guy is getting, his mental illness is getting kicked up because he's been in jail and he's had to sit in situations like that with board members and CEOs, you know what I mean? And like, like when you get in trouble in jail, you know, you sit in front of a bunch of people and then they make a decision of, you know, what's going to happen to you. You know, there was just a lot of like that for him. It's just one little example of or how it needs to be tailored for individuals um, a little better, I think. But I, I, I never want to have to work in a treatment program. I'm not putting them down. They work for people. They keep people alive. Some people stay clean when they get out of them. You know, some people get themselves together. Um, Some people reduce harm to themselves when they get out. And I think some people are forced to look at things that they're really not ready to look at and which could be harmful. So that's just my opinion and my view on it of for being for working in it for like probably over like 20 years. So. You think that last part, you know, people are forced to look at things that could be harmful, but do you think it's also um, necessary as part of the process? When a person's ready, like if you're in a treatment program and you only could stay there for 90 days, so they need you to get to look at something like right away. That's not, okay. I don't think that's right. You know, I think not gotcha. everybody's ready to look at right. something right away. I think there's a process, you know, that needs to happen. You know, some people need to get off of the certain substance for a while before they could really their mind clears up and really able to really like process certain things in their life. Agree. Yeah, no, I I agree. That's probably why we see a lot of people reenter the those places, you know. Yeah. Do you think that for you being, you know, getting sober has had positive effects on your mental health? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think drugs work in the beginning. And then, like, I think drugs did their job for me in the beginning. And I'm talking about, like, 
teens and early 20s. And then after a while, it stopped working. So I definitely had to get off of that in order to work on the mental health part, like my anxiety and my depression, which I still have bouts with, but it's so much better. Like, it's crazy. So I used to have so much anxiety, but I worked in a treatment program, played in a band, you know, <laughs> around people all the time. Yeah, yeah that's like, the thing. But it, but it, I was like, always like, had this thing in the back of my head, which I'm uncomfortable around people. You know, it's it's pretty wild when you really think about it. I I concur. I can get up in front of people and sing and do whatever, just, you know what I mean? But it's like when it comes to how I feel internally, that's where all the storm is. It's all like it's all in my head and I'm like, you know, I'm super self-conscious and super anxiety ridden. I don't, you know, it's only the last couple of years where since we've been doing the podcast and I've gotten more comfortable about going back out by myself again. And now I can go back. I can go out by myself now and have no problems, and it's it's okay. But I'm still in my mind. I'm still dealing with those, that anxiety. People are staring mm-hmm. at me. What don't I look like an asshole by myself? And it's just all these crazy things that go on in your mind, man. Well, as an artist, man, and I always sometimes I worry about people when they first get sober and they want to like be out there doing things right away. It's challenging, you know. So my view on it is, excuse me, being an artist. You make yourself vulnerable. You put yourself out there. Absolutely. You know, you got to be ready, man, for like, and I know like, you know, you get these guys, I don't care. I don't. Can you curse on here? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You say whatever the fuck you want. (laughs) People think, you know what I mean? Eh, Sure. You can say that and be a tough guy, but I'm sure there's moments where you do care about what people think, you know, and you're still going to feel that. There has to be some percentage, man. Nobody's like a hundred on that, I don't think. You know, and no, me neither. Me neither. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So putting yourself out there, man. Like I, I, and and like I, I think I've become better just because I'm a better person than I was before. You know what I mean? Is was it or is it or was it tough for you to be? Because I think I think it's it's the environment too, you know, being in a band, playing out shows, you're most of the time you're in clubs that serve alcohol. Most of the time you're surrounded by people that are engaging in drinking alcohol. So is that, is that part of it? Like the, the environment that you're into is that. It could be, I never was a social kind of like drinker or drug addict, you know, I didn't hang out in clubs and, do cocaine and and it was glamorous it's i was a very street person i'm totally a different person than i was before you know so yeah what do you You know when you ride down central avenue and you go around the corner on robin or you go in that area and you see those that's how i was okay not good yeah what do you think are some of the uh things that helped you become get where you are today being in recovery i mean working on like i don't know just doing some of the work that the program i'm in helped and then also living life man jumping into life and making myself vulnerable like i said you know so vulnerability you're saying is a superpower in a way it could be when you're ready for it Well, so it, well, you said you said when you were when you were ready for it. Was there one incident 
that really brought you to recovery? Did you get a really big smack in the face to bring you to recovery, or was it just a succession of of things that I that think brought it was you a to succession that? of things. I think I was feeling well. I tell you, man, I was caught between a rock and a hard place, you know. And I always say that I I wanted to kill myself, really did, and I wanted to stop, but I couldn't, and I was not feeling good about myself at all. So I was in that crossroad. I chose uh, giving it life another shot, and it's worked out. I would say it has, my friend. I would say it has, because holy shit, you're, you got yourself wrapped up in all kinds of stuff that you do. And, and... Yeah, it keeps me, it, it's, and, I, and like I said, man, I'm able to like put myself out there. Judgment can come, let it come, you know? Do I care? Yeah, am I gonna let it like, you know, control my life at this point? Probably not. You know, not everybody likes the bone art that I do, you know? Right. Not everybody likes that stuff. Some of my friends do. Some of my friends don't like it, you know? So <laughs> it's like, you know, we just did, I just did art on Lark with uh, Kayla Green. She does like art with, um, she puts uh, teeth on jewelry and stuff like that. And okay. Bones and stuff. And so we're an art on Lark, and 80% of the people, you know, look at us like we're out of our minds, and 20% come and buy things. So it's fine. That's the 20% that matters. Yeah. Then you just got to make the next, you got to make, you got to make it 21%. And yeah. I think it's actually, you know, I think it's actually kind of reflective of, of who you are and where you've been because you've kind of picked yourself up from the depths and, and near death, and you're kind of, what you're doing is you're kind of recreating these these artifacts that still provide an energy source and and what you're doing is a, a remembrance thing it's no different i don't think what you're doing is any different than us keeping ashes of our pets on our dressers like i have mm. i have a pet right. cemetery on my dresser so i don't think there's any difference in that as you putting together bones and and stuff you're actually yeah. like giving them like a, another shot at life in a sense. Yeah. I just cleaned up. Speaking of ashes of a pet, I just cleaned someone's like dog. Yeah. 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 Or did they ask you to put their dog? They back? just put the bones. Yeah. So, that's, yeah, that's. And, wow. Yeah. Wow. That's heavy wild. duty. First man. time I've ever done anything like that. Yeah. It's pretty wild. Yeah. That's heavy uh, duty, man. Yeah. So it's fun. It, it's fun. Um, and like I said, it keeps me busy. And it's something I could do by myself, too, which I like. Like, you know, I play in a band. I got, you know, you mentioned Black Bell Jones, which there, too, I'm able to use that as an outlet also. A lot of my lyrics are about, like, mental health and addiction. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You can check out you can check out their four-song EP on Bandcamp under Black Bell Jones. Uh, Tim and I were fortunate enough to see Black Bell Jones recently with the Clay People. The Clay People releasing their brand-new record. Uh, they were just playing here at Empire Live. And uh, great set, great set, really awesome sound. Uh, if you're fans of, like, Queens of the Stone Age and Caius and bands like that, like, you'll dig Black Bell Jones. Thanks, Oh, you got it, man. Absolutely. Loved it. It was great. Good set. Now I just got to get on Bandcamp because I'm not on Bandcamp. <laughs> I got to get on Bandcamp. Oh, yeah. So what I do now is I I work in a in a housing program for the homeless in which I work with a lot of people who have serious mental illness 
and addiction. And it's very, very challenging. I'm able to connect with people pretty well, but man, it is still like a very challenging job. And uh, that's gotta be, that's gotta be tough. What is, is, can I ask the, the, the difference between the two, because you had mentioned before about working, you know, and, and leaving that because maybe the restraints or whatever, but I feel like this is equally, if not more as heavy. Yeah. And, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's, yeah. Do you feel like you have less constraints on you at, at, on, on this one or? I could be more creative with this job. You know, I could definitely be more creative. Um, but our main goal is to house people. So our main goal is not to get people mental health services and get them off drugs. But that is an option for them. So that is something that I will help them with. Some people are getting services already. And then some, some people, people don't are... ever, ever want to get services. Um, or some people have services and they just let them go because that's that's what I find. That's what I'm finding now in my new career choice that a lot yeah. of people, they're set up with services, but they don't really want the services necessarily or or they're not willing to do the work that goes into the services they'd rather and and i get it like i understand like people want autonomy but you know there's a certain part where you kind of gotta say well if if you're gonna do this then you kind of gotta do this right <laughs> eventually yeah i would think i i agree do you think that will are, are some of the people that you see is it more of uh are they like mandated to do it? They're, it's not necessarily their choice. So they just kind of do it to appease other people. Well, for me, for where I'm coming from, our stuff isn't necessarily mandated as much as it is. It is certain, certain aspects of it are for certain individuals, but individuals that are outside of that are going back into community. It's not, Oh, it's not mandated. And you set them up with what we call a home, a health home service, which is like this whole management system that that creates this thing where you get all your treatment, you get your your you know you you get your living arrangements and stuff. But there's certain aspects of those treatment programs that you have to you know you have to fulfill. And then what happens is people close cases and people you know wind up back through the cycle again. Yeah, the system is not great. No, it's not. It's very it's it's a very challenging and like I I will second what you've said about it's changing. It it is changing, but I I it's nothing is ever going to change as fast enough as we need it to. Right. And it's too bad because there'll be a lot of collateral. There's a lot of collateral damage because of that. Yeah. I find that most of the people that are homeless are suffering from mental health really, really bad. They have serious mental illness. Now, when it's I... not being addressed properly or there's lack of services and they just cannot function, you know, um, amongst society in a way that they can go get a job, get an apartment, maintain it. It's it's challenging, you know. In in your in in your work, do you see a lot of individuals that are yes, they have mental illness, but do you notice that there's a lot of people that have cognitive like delays and 
could actually be on like the OPWDD spectrum as much as it is a mental illness or a chemical addiction? Yeah, there's, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Because yeah. I have noticed that there's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of individuals out there who, you know, have cognitive delays that really should probably be in like a system for developmentally disabled people as opposed to being, you know, as opposed to being in a mental health system, which I believe does probably cause even more problems too, because of the way treatment is done and, and, mm. and the medicines that people use and, and the things that they're given during the course of the day. And it's hard to set somebody up for success out in the community when you can go to the nurse's station and get your, you know, PRN whenever you need it. And you don't necessarily have that outside. And I, like, I don't necessarily know if we set people up for success as much as we just set them up to manage them to, mm. to be part of it. I don't know. It's like, I, it's just something that I'm seeing myself. Yep. Yeah, and like, you know, like I said before, man, there's a lot to it. You know, there's no straight line. It's not black and white. It's really, <laughs> there's a lot of different layers and, but addiction too. Oh, know? absolutely. 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 Yeah. We used to think just do this and that's it. No, it's not like that. No. It's a lot of different things, you know. But it, but when, but the thing about it is, is, and this, Tim and I talk about this quite a bit, is that I say that you have to have a willingness to come to recovery of any sort. You have to be willing to to admit, first of all, that you have a problem. And I think so many of us have a hard time with that because we have these self-developed ideas of what we were supposed to be. And, and then we hear all these all the things that we've heard throughout life. You should be this, you should be that, or you you don't need that. You're just you're just this or whatever. And the judgment is judgment is very difficult to get over. Mm -hmm. we use you the last people to, to know right. the individual that's suffering right right the same thing with mental health because i've met so many people that deny that they have a mental health problem when it's obvious that they do by their behavior there is something that needs to be addressed mm -hmm. but they deny it and they don't want help so it puts them in these situations where they keep repeating these same, like this vicious cycle that they're on without drug use, without drug use, just mental health. Mike, do you have a, do you have a thought on why they, they don't acknowledge it? Or do you think they, they may just not understand it fully? Or do you think there's something? I mean, most of the time clients won't talk to you about it if they're denying it. So I could come up with ideas. I mean, I've had clients actually that have been in a certain type of system, mental health system, are out of it now and refuse to admit they have a mental health problem. So I'm guessing that they had a bad experience with the providers. So maybe, maybe even the, the stigma that's behind it. There's a stigma behind it. That's another one, which, yeah. It's a heavy stigma too. For sure. You know? Yeah, very that's a very heavy stigma. Yeah, that's a good point. You know. Um yeah, I mean, 
people have bad experiences and don't want to return to certain places to get help. It can be just as traumatizing to people as it is, as it is to, you know, to, it's almost, I think a lot of people would rather just have their status quo of what they feel good and then not go through that again. Is there a way to improve that though? What do you, do you have any opinions on how do we, how do we improve it? Is it, is it having more people like us in the field that care or is that not going to be enough because at some point you get burned out and then you're just like, well, it's again, you're just, it just keeps repeating over and over again. I don't know. I think like a program that I work with helps. I think what you're doing helps. I think this podcast helps. I think it's going to take a lot of different people to get involved. And also to look at how to make it, I guess, user friendly. <laughs> yeah. It's almost like a right. <laughs> you know, this computer program just doesn't work, so we have to get a new one. You right. know what I mean? And it's kind of like, yeah, it's a tough question, man. You know, I was thinking about how could we make the shelter system better because a lot of people will not stay in a shelter. People they'd rather stay on the street. They'd rather stay on the street. Yeah. And I had my bot with homelessness too. I mean, and, and I'd rather have stayed in the street. Okay. Really? Yeah. Why would I? Yeah. The shelter what? was like worse, especially back then. I mean, can I can I ask why? I I just don't. I'm I'm ignorant to that. I don't know why it would be worse. There's not enough accountability amongst people who are there for other reasons and putting people in danger. It's almost like being in a bad jail sometimes for some people. People get things stolen. They get robbed. Uh, there's been sexual abuse. A little bit of everything, I'm sure. I got it. All right. That makes sense. Yeah, I remember I when I first came to Albany, I stayed at a shelter. I won't mention the name. And they threw us out at 7 in the morning, you know which I don't know how that helps anyone. There wasn't no services, no nothing offered. It was, it was just, no it programming was, at all. Right. And this was like, this was like 20, this was 90, 1999. Okay. So I mean, I are a little different now. Things are uh, different now. A yeah. Little things bit different are different now. now. Um, they would give you two tokens and that was it, you know, and see you later, you know? So, so you could take the bus or whatever, but um, yeah, just throwing somebody in the street at seven in the morning with no destination is not healthy. No, it's not. That's not. It's right. not even. That's not a plan. There's right. no plan there whatsoever. It's yeah. It's just a place to rest your head and do what you're going to do, and then come back and go to sleep. So. Do you, obviously we have we can come up with a better system than that. But do you think that those places are also necessary too, just so people do have some place to go if they need to? Yeah, I mean, people are using the shelter system um, in a positive way. I think there just needs to be more money um, to help people. Like, if we could just make it safer for people, I think it would be better. Yeah, well, we've got humans walking around. I don't think anybody's safe, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> and that's and that's not to be and that's not I'm not trying to be flippant by saying that I I'm I'm dead serious I just I don't know man I 
again, like I equate it to what uh, what I've heard over the years is that you know we're the only society where the rich have convinced the middle class that the poor are the problem and we just want to throw everybody in the you know that doesn't just because of our judgmental you know incapacities dude thank you so much for doing this man uh this has yeah. been an awesome an awesome conversation timmy you got anything else for mike before we get to the lightning round <laughs> nothing uh no, nothing. Just thanks for being here and thanks for sharing. Yeah. Um, if there's anything else you want to just kind of put out there quick before we start the lightning round, you know, feel free. But otherwise, I've got nothing. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, just thanks for, yeah, I mean, this is uh, a good thing you guys are doing. Definitely had a good conversation, a good way to start the day, you know. So. Start the day on a positive, man. Yeah. Cheers to you. Yeah. There's no coffee in here. I think I, I finished it all up. I, I have my second more. cup going. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Timmy. So, Mike, do you have a favorite or a least favorite word? Hate. Do you have a favorite? Uh, forgiveness. Ah, that's a good one. Forgiveness is always a good one. Wow. I don't think anybody yeah. said forgiveness yet either. No, I think that's a first. Well, I think one of the things we have to learn how to do is forgive ourselves especially people that um, have addiction and mental health because our addiction and mental health affect other people and it also affects us. So we also got to learn how to forgive. We all, we all always want to be forgiven, but we have to learn how to forgive others too. Um, Very good. So my next question, my second question is what is something that you've learned about yourself by piecing skeletons together uh, it's i'm fascinated by this because i as we've as we've had our conversation this morning it's really dawned on me that you you've kind of taken this weird thing that some people would think is weird and you've created this really cool thing of of just carrying on the spirit of the animal by piecing it back together so i wanted to know if there was something that you've learned about yourself that you didn't know before you started doing all that? I'm not sure if I could really connect anything directly. I guess just giving giving myself a chance. I think we got to give ourselves a break and give ourselves a chance to like try to find, do something different, you know, find what's going to work. Absolutely, man. That's very cool. That's yeah. very cool. I didn't mean to stump you the, the That's this early right. hour. No, no, it's fine. I, it's I just, probably better. <laughs> I'm gonna think so much. I do. I just find it fascinating because it, it, like, as I was looking at all your as at all your Facebook posts for all the, the all the projects that you're you're doing with it, I was like, wow, it's pretty, it's pretty incredible that you're connecting life and death in that in that in that way. It's just it's kind of it's really cool and esoteric and 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 neat. So I didn't know if there was a deeper if there's been a deeper meaning to it or not. Excellent. So the last question, if there was something that you could do or that you would like to see done for mental health as a whole without any kind of restraint, what would it be? I think I would like to see an improvement in the shelter system where the shelter system is safe for people to go to. There's a lot of uh, people that have serious mental health are in the street and refusing to stay in a shelter because they don't feel safe. 
if we could make the shelter system safer and more user-friendly, I think we could open the door to help more people with mental health. Is it is it a lack of resources across the board? Is it a lack of certain resources? Is it, it has a lack to of volunteers? Is because they wouldn't have code blue if it wasn't, right? Right. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah, that's you know, code blue uh houses more people during the winter. There's a lot of people that are not getting housed. Um I think they're doing their best to house people that come forward for services. But I think it's more of the people that don't want to come forward for services because of their experience with the shelter system. So if we made the shelter system better, more hands-on, more people working, I mean, I'm, in, I'm assuming that when somebody sits, when guys are sleeping in a, like a dorm, they probably have like one or two people working the floor at night. Maybe they need more, you know. Maybe there needs to be more money put into it, more jobs, more hands-on, more peers, people that have been through it. And, the, you know, and there is a glimpse of that. I mean, it's slowly happening where there are peers. And there's a couple of shelters that are doing some really good stuff in Albany. That's um, good to hear. That's good yeah. to hear. Yeah. It's, so, certainly, it's certainly needed. It's certainly necessary. And we have need to... More. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I'm with you on yeah. that. Mike, thanks so much, man. Thank you so much for taking your morning and, and being here with us, man. It's, yeah, it's man, thank you. Time. Thanks, Mike, for everything. Um, yeah. You know, thanks for what you do, you know, for the for the community. And, um, you know, just thanks for sharing your story with us today. Yeah, thank you, man. Thanks for having me, guys. That was Mike Langone from Upstate Punk Rock Flea Market, Black Belt Jones. Odd, sweet things and dead ends. That's right. Episode 178 has come to an end. Thank you so much for listening. I wanted to take you out with a Black Belt Jones song, which I'm going to share. It's an entirety. It's called Save You Today. Don't forget, please rate review subscribe follow friend do all the things share our episodes let us know you're listening out there this was episode 178 can't wait for the rest of the year and into 2023 tpp and i are working hard to try to get new guests and expand things and don't forget tim's book should be dropping any day now and as soon as we have links you'll be able to find them on the above ground podcast pages everywhere so please check every day and again thank you so much for listening supporting and buying us coffees thanks to everyone who came out on saturday night to the fuse box to to share in local live music we appreciate it very much man so until next week get well be safe and stay above here is black belt jones
Say